Moncrief on News Talk. Anyway, speaking of Tom Cruise lookalikes, Jonathan DeBurka Butler joins us once again to bring us stories from other parts of the world. Jonathan, good afternoon. Sean, what a terrible comparison. Thank you very much, though. <laughs> right, so uh, the US we're going to go to first. And I suppose this is good news if for students in the US. Yeah, it, it is for some 200,000 of them that have been uh, affected by um, their colleges closing in some instances and um, being found guilty of what's called substantial misconduct. I suppose it goes back uh, to 2015, right, when um, a college, an education group called Corinthian Colleges shut down uh, its 33 campuses and then was followed shortly after that by a group called ITT Technical Colleges in 2016. Um, They had something like 130 campuses that they looked after. So what this meant was that students who went to those colleges were entitled to what's called borrower defence, right? So like uh, like in the UK, I don't know what it's like here, but uh, like in the UK, um, uh, many people who go to colleges in the United States get a loan from the Department of Education, right? It's, about, it's actually about 92% of all outstanding student loan is actual federal debt at the moment. Um, but if for whatever reason your college closes or it's found guilty of substantial misconduct, as some of these institutions were, uh, you're entitled to get that loan scrapped. That's what borrower defence was. The problem was that under the Trump administration, it was taking too long for these 200,000 people to get their um, loan scrapped, right? So back in 2018, one of them, on behalf of the 200,000 people, decided to take a case against the education department to speed things up, okay? Mm. And a decision was made on that in November of 2022 by a California-based judge um, that they, the Department of Education could settle for $6 billion, right? $6 billion. It's a heck of a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, w- it would give, the department would give full loan forgiveness to applicants who attended one of the 151 institutions that were on that list. However, as you can imagine, not all of the institutions were happy about that. And three of them, took the uh, case to appeal, right? They went to an appeals court in California and then they brought it up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court last week basically said, no, we're not going to put a stay on this payout uh, and uh, this payout is going to go ahead. The, The colleges that brought the appeal had said that the Department of Education did not assess the validity of the borrower's claims properly and that it would damage their reputation. But the Supreme Court, in their wisdom, said that, you know, neither the adjudicates, uh, any, sorry, that the settlement doesn't adjudicate any rights or impose any duties or liabilities upon the relevant school because it was between the students and the Department of Education, if you get me. Mm, so, yeah. and, and they saw that he, they felt that they hadn't been affected or hadn't suffered any injury or it wasn't enough to stop the, the money from being paid out. Um, so it's an interesting one. And as you said, uh, a lot of people would be very happy that this uh, decision has been taken. Yeah, indeed. Uh, well, uh, and of course, many of those graduates will end up working in uh, their local fast food outlet anyway. Uh, so uh, and it, they could do worse than move to Chile, where the working week's going to get a bit shorter. Absolutely, Sean. Uh, the Congress there last uh, last week on Tuesday, I think it was, passed a bill where they are going to gradually cut the working week from 45 hours 
to 40. Um, if there's any French people listening, they might, might want to take that on board. <laughs> um, so the work week law uh, is going to be passed uh, and it has to be signed into law by the president who has been there for a year, Gabriel Boric. Uh, he's had a bit of a tough time. Do you remember the constitutional referendum that they had last year? He brought that in and, you know, he was trying to bring it in and that got beaten out of the park by 62% to 38%. And he's had a few other setbacks. So this is seen as a good uh, good news day for him. And so what they're doing here is they're going to gradually whittle the working week down, as I said, from 45 to 40. So over the next five years, you'll have one hour less per annum uh, until it reaches 40 hours. And, and that, of course, will bring Chile in line with... Uh, most industrialized nations so uh, yeah good news for workers in Chile yeah indeed uh, did anyone oppose this particular move did he have any difficulty with it well in Congress uh, so there was 151 people voted on it and uh, voted on it and it went through 127 to 14 so in con- in in the 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 deputies the lower house it, it, it passed no problem um most companies, the bigger ones, have taken it on board already and, and implemented some of these changes, or they said they've had, and that's a good PR move from their point of view, I guess. It makes them look good. But smaller firms did criticize the new law, um, and they're saying that they have insufficient resources to hire more workers and replace lost hours. But that is why they're implementing this slowly and they're bringing it out over the next five years. And that's something that the Minister of Labour pointed out uh, and said that, you know, this it'll be a gradual implementation. Uh, and that was de- designed to address the, the fears that smaller companies will have. I'm sure some will struggle, struggle, but ultimately 45 hours is quite a long working week. Yeah, uh, indeed it is. Yes. Right. Greek, uh, Greece, we're going to go to uh, next. And, yeah, this is an interesting one. This is a, a far-right party are, 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 are being prevented from taking part in the next general election. How did that happen? Yeah, it, it is a very interesting one. Um, this was a party that was founded two years ago by an MP called Elias Cassidiaris, and he is currently in prison. Uh, he was sentenced to prison, a couple, I think it was last year, Uh, or maybe the year before, for 13 years, all right? And that was because he was a key member of Golden Dawn, who you remember Mm. were that far-right extremist group uh, who were actually banned in 2020 um, for being a violent group of thugs, really. (laughs) Can't uh, can't, uh, put it any other way. Uh, I mean, they murdered people and uh, that kind of thing. Um, so they were banned in 2020. So this particular party, the Greeks National Party, was founded by this former MP who's in prison. And uh, it was going to run in elections that are set to take place in May of this year, except the other parties uh, within the Greek parliament and within Greek politics weren't particularly happy about it. So back in February, parliament voted for a law uh, that would block the participation of any um, parties in those elections whose leaders had been sentenced to prison for certain crimes against the state. Now, this particular party being quite clever, they decided, okay, well, our leader is in prison, but why don't we just change the leader? And they did that to try and bypass the ban. Parliament responded last week by simply changing the law to include what they call criminal organizations that are dressed up as political parties. Now, how they came to that conclusion uh, that you know this particular party was that, I'm not 100% sure. But anyway, 
it has to still go to the um, Supreme Court to you know test the constitutionality of this. Um, and while it did get through Parliament by 178 votes, and the governing New Democracy uh, pushed it through with uh, parties uh, on the left. Um, the famous uh, Syriza party abstained from it and, the Gre- and were quite critical. And the Greek Communist Party also opposed it, um, saying that regulations could lead to other parties being banned in the future, which, of course, they experienced during the regime of the colonels in um, 1967 to 74, when there was a, uh, a right-wing government in, in dictatorship, really, in Greece. Mm. Were there any indications that this party, if they had been allowed to run, would have garnered much or any of the vote? Yes, well, that's the thing. And this is one of the reasons that Syriza were quite critical, because Syriza are saying, look, you're playing, a sh- you're playing the short game here, but in the long term, this is actually going to make these guys more popular. Um, it, needed, it would have needed about 3% to have any seats in Parliament, and at the moment, it's polling at about four to four point five percent. And actually, if it doesn't, if the Supreme Court turns around and says what Parliament has done here is wrong, and it does manage to field candidates in the next election, conceivably they could be the kingmakers. Right? The government uh, mm-hmm. isn't doing particularly well at the moment, and is expected to lose quite a number of seats. Um, so they could potentially have a bit of influence if they are allowed. That seems unlikely, if they're allowed to run. That seems unlikely at the moment, uh, but but uh, it remains to be seen what, what the courts will say. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and so, but, but there is, uh, yeah, they still have to test the constitutionality of this. Yeah. In any event, uh, the, the chap is in prison for 13 years probably won't be uh, leading them anyway. He, he's not, but he's, in, he's a very interesting character, and this is part, this is another side to the story. This guy has 138,000 followers on YouTube. And even though he's in prison and a high security prison at that, he is managing to still appear on social media and on radio shows uh, Mm. and doing interviews with various different influencers and the like. Now, there's an investigation uh, about to start into how that is being allowed to happen. uh, And that could be quite interesting in itself. Um, But he has an awful lot of influence in the country and... um, uh, you, you never know how these things will pan out. He's he's worth keeping an eye on. Um, I don't think uh, I, I don't. I, I'd be surprised if we don't hear from him quite soon in some capacity. Yes. Yeah. Right, Kenya, we're going to go to uh, next, and a sad but rather bizarre case about uh, four people being found dead. Yeah, a very sad story um, which took place in uh, the coastal Kalifi County. Uh, in Kenya, where four people were found dead on Thursday and nearly a dozen others were hospitalized. And this was after police got a tip off uh, from locals who told them that a group of people were fasting, essentially, in a forest nearby because a preacher had told them to go there and wait to meet Jesus. Now, when the authorities got there, as I said, they found four people dead. They rescued 11 Six were immediately taken to hospital. They were very, uh, 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 very badly emaciated and were in a critical condition. And they think there might be more missing. It's believed that these worshippers belong to a church called the Good News International Church, which is led by a local pastor called Paul McKenzie. Now, McKenzie 
was actually out on police bail after he was charged last month over the death of two children whose parents are among his followers and who apparently starved the children to death on his orders. It's absolutely gruesome. Um, But this is what uh, this guy is being able to do and being able to manipulate these people into believing. Yeah, uh, well, obviously he's not fast on himself. And and no. they kind of this, uh, well, I suppose if you blend perhaps traditional religions with uh, Christianity, these kind of things aren't that uncommon in uh, in Kenya. Yeah, cults are common enough in Kenya, um, and it is quite a religious society. But it's funny because even the locals here, this isn't the first time this 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 church has been in the news in this particular county. I believe last month, in fact, um, 10 people from the church were actually beaten up by locals uh, because the locals don't like them uh, mm. and find them, you know, a little bit odd. Um, so it's not surprising that the police got a tip off from these locals because I think uh, about the people in the forest because I think they would prefer if they were not around anymore. Um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, cults are common enough in Kenya. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Yemen, uh, we're going to go to next. And uh, I suppose uh, some small signs of hope for Yemen or at least for some sort of peace uh, uh, to come to Yemen. Yeah, this is this is something that I'm relatively proud to say we've covered quite a bit on this slot, Sean. Um and uh, it's uh, good news in a way. There's a major prison swap between the warring sides that's happening in Yemen. Um, and it is seen as part of stepped up efforts to end this conflict, which has been going on since 2015. Uh, it's hard to believe. But I mean, 150,000 people have died as a result. About 23 million people are in need of some form of aid. Uh, often it can't get into them because of various blockades and that kind of thing. But as I said, yeah, it's seen as a part of step-up efforts to, to end the conflict, and and they're talking to each other, uh, and this is the good thing. So the um, Saudis, the Saudi delegation, and the Houthi delegation met uh, for talks last week, and of course you'll remember a couple of weeks ago that Saudi Arabia and Iran normalized diplomatic relations. I'm sure you saw that. Mm-hmm. It was quite yeah. widely covered. And this was thanks and, to, and, and interestingly enough, China was the, was the peacemaker in that regard. Yes, absolutely yeah. spot on. It was very interesting from the Chinese point of view as well. But why it's interesting in this case is because obviously uh, the Houthis are back, are Shias themselves, and they're backed by Iran uh, and the Saudis uh, who didn't like the idea of having a Shia government on their doorstep in Yemen. Um, so you know, hopefully these talks will, you know, keep going and will come to a permanent ceasefire and then an end gradually to the conflict. But the signs are as good as they've been for a number of uh, years, it has to be said. Yeah, it, it is a very interesting development. I mean, I, from the, you know, it seems it seems almost kind of maybe imply a slight change of policy from China's point of view, because China didn't like to do that kind of thing. There were more, you know, investment and uh, all that stuff. And now they're almost taking on the role that America might traditionally have had. Uh, assessment there, I think. Uh, China are doing things that they normally wouldn't do, always in trades people and that kind of thing. But uh, the problem that Saudi Arabia has is they can't rely on the United States because the 
president president changes every four years and mm. um, so that's one of the issues with them and of course biden <laughs> yeah won- you can't accuse china of that that's true <laughs> well exactly and of course biden gave snubbed them there or was very annoyed with them there recently because they didn't produce more oil and they haven't been getting on for the last while um so you know it's it's an interesting pivot from saudi's point of view uh from iran um i suppose it's it's good news for them as well because you know they haven't had a decent relationship with the United States for years yeah. uh, and they can't be relying on that new nuclear deal uh, to be completed anytime soon. Right. So what should we look out for over the next week or so, Jonathan? Yeah, uh, today and this week, a man who many people had was actually dead uh, back in 2018. The president of Gabon, Ali Bongo Ondimba, is going on a state visit to China, which we just mentioned. And again, that's another one of these interesting developments in terms of investment into Africa uh, from from the Chinese point of view. Uh, Then on Wednesday, the German president will meet with the Israeli president and the Polish president in Warsaw to commemorate 80 years since several hundred Jewish fighters fought back against the liquidation of the Warsaw Ghetto. Uh, by German occupiers during World War II. I think that was depicted quite well in The P- uh, the Pianist, wasn't it? Mm. Or the, what was the one? Oh, I can't remember the name of the movie. But anyway, um, and then Monday week, uh, the British Virgin Islands uh, have their elections for the House of Assembly as well. And they are actually extremely interesting. So we might talk about them more next week. Good stuff. Thanks a million, Jonathan. Jonathan de Burke, butler there. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.